You're listening to the OLLI at UNT Retiree Spotlight Series, presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UNT and the UNT Retiree Association, or UNTRA. UNTRA is open to all retired faculty and staff who are interested in staying connected to life on campus. To learn more, visit untra.unt.edu. To learn more about OLLI at UNT, visit olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, OLLI at UNT Advisory Council Vice President, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as OLLI. In partnership with the UNT Retiree Association, Ollie at UNT presents the first of a series of interviews with former UNT faculty and staff about their career accomplishments, favorite UNT memories, and reflections on their experiences of our local history. Tremendous thanks to Morgan Davis Geringer and Perry Hamilton from the Special Collections Department of the UNT Libraries for their invaluable research assistance. We are speaking today with Dr. Tom Hemmicke. Dr. Hemmicke holds a doctorate in education and two degrees in mathematics. He was UNT's director of the Office of International Studies and Programs. In 1967-68, to 68, he had a Fulbright Scholarship to Australia and, in 1983, was one of 20 Americans awarded a Fulbright Scholarship to Germany. Dr. Hemmicke has served as the Chair of the Board for the University of North Texas Retiree Association and as OLLI Advisory Council President, among countless other areas of service. Welcome, Dr. Hemmicke. You've been a busy man. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you here. In fact, I was doing some research on you, and I saw that the University of North Texas established the Hemmicke Study Abroad Scholarship Fund to provide financial assistance to students participating in study abroad programs. The fact that the university established the scholarship fund in your name speaks volumes about your commitment and involvement. Thank you for that. Well, you're quite welcome, and I'm still delighted about study abroad. It's one of the reasons that brought me to UNT. You were a longtime leader in international programs. Well, a long time is right. I got started in international way back after I finished my master's degree at St. Louis University. Got a Fulbright program to go to Monash University in Australia to study mathematics. As a matter of fact, semi-group theory was the topic, but anyway, that's a different story. The experience in Australia was a wonderful experience that really got me started in thinking about things international. And the experience there was wonderful for my wife and our daughter who was born there. When I came back from there, I went to work at the University of Illinois, working in data processing, which was related to my mathematics studies. Still having the international bug, I got interested in the work that the U of I was doing in Iran at that time. They had a fairly large research unit working at the University of Tehran. So I applied for the job, got the job because they needed somebody with computer experience and interest in international. So we spent two years in Iran, which was a wonderful experience, working on all kinds of different research projects in child development, in music, musicology, in, in education, and in, in language and linguistics. 
So it was a fascinating experience, but it cemented my interest, my lifetime interest in international activities, especially international education. Living in different countries as you did, and how different, Australia and Tehran, (laughs) that's amazing. It must have been an incredible experience. Did you see that the differences in the cultures and the educational systems made a big difference to you as an American going to study in their areas? It made a huge difference in my life. Mainly, I would say it it cemented my interest in working internationally. I was also interested in education, having worked in education for some time. When we returned from Iran, I continued working at the University of Illinois and started my PhD program, finished my program there. When I finished that program, I was interested in kind of looking around to see what possibilities were. And I met Dr. Toulouse, who was then dean of the graduate school here at UNT, a wonderful man who I met in Chicago, and he thought maybe I should come down to UNT and visit the university. So I did and ended up with a job here because they were looking for someone to direct the international office at the university. At that time, as I said, I was interested in study abroad. I worked in the study abroad office at the University of Illinois and several other offices at the University of Illinois and realized that I could, could maybe make a difference here at UNT. Of course, at that time it was NTSU. It was very interesting coming to Texas. It was a great move for us. It brought us to a really fine family-oriented community, uh, a family-oriented university with a lot of promise. Entering the international office at UNT was a wonderful experience for me because I realized that there's a lot of things that I could really do here that were were not quite so possible at the University of Illinois, which had a very well-developed international, comprehensive international program. When I came to UNT, I found that there was a lot of activity going on internationally. We had an intensive English language institute, which was part of the operation of the international office. We had an international student office, which was uh, uh, designed to help international students make the transition to uh, U.S. campuses. And we had not a whole lot more. There were a number of activities, a number of faculty who had taken students overseas, a number of faculty who did international research, a number of faculty who who had a lot of international contacts and were, were quite active. But there was no coordination between and amongst all of these different forces acting internationally on this campus. After a couple of years here, working uh, consolidating the, the intensive English program, which was very active, we had at that time over about 2,000 international students, which was a lot because the campus was only about 17 or 18,000 students at the time. I remember a meeting uh, that I was asked to attend to give a report on international to the Board of Regents. The main question that was asked is, are you keeping those international students under control? <laughs> and I answered that as best as I could. And the second question was, well, what are you doing for Texas students? And so then I said, we really need to make it possible for Texas students to have international experiences of of some uh, academic content and real meaning for them so that they can learn about other cultures, about other countries, about other histories, and other peoples. And that was a, a real impetus for me to get busier than I than I was before. When I came from the University of Illinois, I 
I brought along a number of books and pamphlets and information about study abroad because they had a, a fairly large office and they had a lot of extra books and things there, so I brought some of them with me here to UNT. I was able to hire a graduate student to organize those materials, start looking into possibilities, and within a year or so, we were tracking, uh, or at least finding out about those students who had international experience and those faculty that had taken students overseas. We were able to hire a half-time study abroad advisor. That was a big move for us in terms of moving along in the study abroad milieu. Shortly after that, the, the College of Business was quite interested in having one of their faculty members take a group of students to, uh, to Switzerland to study international business and to visit a number of companies and so forth in Switzerland and that area, introduce them to international business in that part of, the, of Europe. I insisted on sending my, my half-time student study abroad advisor along with that group. After a long conversation with the dean of business, he said, well, why would you want to do that? And I said, well, we need to develop an institutional look at study abroad, an institutional approach to study abroad. And that was the first time we had what I would call a, an organized study abroad program overseas. It was the first of, of many. And of course, you have to take a wider view than simply sending a few students overseas. You've got to work with faculty, you've got to work with uh, students of all stripes, and try to create an atmosphere where the advantages of Texas students going overseas are just as valuable for them as it is for international students to come here to study. So we, we began to achieve my goal of a, a sort of a balance between what we were providing for the international students coming here and for Texas students going overseas and learning about other cultures in the same way that international students learn about us and our cultures here in, in the U.S. So we, I think we began to achieve a balance. And that was one of my main goals when I came here. And I think that's something I'm, I'm very happy with. I think we had a very good experience with that. What sort of things did you do with the international students here at UNT to give them an idea of America and the culture and the, the university? Well, well, we started off uh, when we had a new group of international students come in. And at that time, we were having, you know, 150, 200 or more internationals come, arriving at any particular time, usually at the beginning of a term. We started off with a, a multi-day orientation program to explain to, to students and introduce them to other Texas students so we could introduce them and have some... We had a few very um, formal occasions where we explained a lot of the procedures and policies and things that they would have to pay attention to. But we also had a lot of fun things happening too. A lot of parties, a lot of get-togethers, a lot of chances for them to, to speak up and let, let us know about where they came from, what they're doing, and stuff like that. So orientation was extraordinarily important. Then throughout the year, we had a number of occasions. We started known as International Week. And during International Week, we had a, a, an international fair. We had a, um, when it was allowed in the Union, we had a potluck dinner with food from, cooked by students from all over the world. Oh, that would be fun. That was, that was a lot of fun. But of course, you know, we couldn't do that very long because the, the, the rules for bringing food into the Union just weren't very... Uh, amenable to that activity. But we had a lot of fun doing that. And my wife and I had frequent times. We had international students over to the house, you know, and sometimes we had a little dinner, we had a little party, a little something. And a lot of our staff did the same thing. So there was a, as much interaction as we could create or encourage uh, 
between international students, Texas students, Texas families, and so forth. A lot of international students did stay and live with uh, families. We had a what we call the International Welcome Program, which was based in the community. As a matter of fact, uh, my secretary at the time, whose husband was a preacher in a local church, they organized a community effort to welcome international students. That's terrific. And as a result, we probably had oh, a few dozen or more international students living with families in the community. That program uh, lasted for quite a long time, and they had an annual program where they invited students to a big potluck. It was great fun. We used to do it down in the, the senior center here in town. So there's a lot of chances. that We've created as many chances as we could for interaction, and that was a big thing. I remember my cousin had an international student from Japan live with them for a while, and they kept up a lifelong communication between the two of them and visits and everything. It was quite a relationship. Yeah, that's, that's great fun, and it's a very valuable thing for the students, and I think also valuable for the families. We had a number of families that have kept in touch with students for years, you know, after their students have gone home to make their contribution at home. Some of the families I know, a couple of them, have even traveled overseas to visit their student and their families in their home country. So it, it works both ways, and it's a, it's a great way to, I think, have the community understand about having several thousand internationals temporarily in our community. Sounds like a really enriching situation. Yeah. Did you find that the insights you gained from being at the universities in Australia and Switzerland helped you in determining both sides of it, perhaps what you could do for the international students, but also what you might arrange for the students that were in foreign countries going from UNT? Sure. I think that's a very good question because, uh, you know, I learned a lot having that experience. And I went through homesickness. I went through all kinds of, you know, emotional reactions to being in a culture that is somewhat different. I mean, Australia is not that much different, but Iran certainly is. And you, you go through all kinds of ups and downs. So having gone through that certainly added a lot to my own understanding of what the international students were going through and what our students from Texas were doing overseas. We had some students from Texas who had uh, real problems overseas, including sicknesses and things like that. So, so it was very important for us to... Um, provide support for students. That was one of the things I think that was a goal of mine as well, uh, working with uh, some of our deans and actually with the provost, we were able to, I hate to use the word institutionalize, but that's a good word, institutionalize study abroad at UNT. And by that I mean we, we developed a set of criteria along with our international advisory committee uh, criteria for faculty members who wanted to, to send, take a group of students overseas. We provided automatically, we required actually, that international uh, study abroad programs include funding for some kind of insurance to help students if they, get in, if they have tr specific troubles overseas. That's terrific. Uh, that's right, exactly. So I mean, we were in one instance, uh, we had a faculty member who uh, had all of the program money in his back pocket that was pickpocketed oh, in, in Italy. And we had to go to bat and find money here to send overseas on an emergency basis to help him out. So that's what I mean by the value of institutionalizing, although I, I don't like that word, but we did make it an institutional effort as opposed to simply a, an individual effort of a particular faculty member or a group or a department or something like that. So 
This allowed us also to develop more faculty who were willing to take students overseas. And if they hadn't done it before, we would try to work with them to make sure that all the points were covered, you know, everything was covered, and they were ready to go, and the students were ready to go, and we had orientation programs for the students ready to go, and that sort of thing. So, But by, after several years, we did have a full-time study abroad office, which was a, a great help in the process, and we had a couple of professionals working there who ran a wonderful program, I think. Well, as a parent, having had a student go to Italy, <laughs> it would have been made my heart rest easy knowing that someone had his back. That's right, and that's important. You know, you know, international students coming here were required to have certain insurance, required to have certain you know, because of their visas and so forth. They were, they had a lot of requirements. Well, our students going the other direction also had to have some requirements to to provide backstopping for them. So and I think we managed that pretty well. But what an incredible, incredible experience it is yeah. for anyone, yeah. particularly younger people Absolutely. who haven't seen a lot of the world, to have a chance to do that. In 1989, you were quoted in the North Texan magazine from UNT as saying, I would like to change the perception on campus that international education is relatively unimportant. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I remember uh, having that kind of uh, thought you know several times but in some instances uh, it was it was the case that you know faculty for example didn't didn't want to become involved with us because they said well I can do this on my own and that's fine and a lot of them did very wonderful things that way but the more we could pull that together and create what I would call an institutional program you know of international involvement that it, it was not just individuals working on their own, but us working together as, as a team, I think that was really important. And there were instances where people would say, well, why do we have international students here? Actually, that was question came up from the Board of Regents at one time, you know. Why international? And what did you say if yeah. I said to you, why international students? Why do we need people from other countries coming to UNT? Don't we have enough students here? What would you say to me besides, hey, Susan? <laughs> the simple, there's a simple answer to that question. Yeah. And that is that it's very important for students from Texas to interact with people from other cultures and to see them not only as somebody they, they walk past in the grocery store, but somebody they're in class with and are involved in having discussions about class issues or whatever goes on in that class. And to see them on campus and interact with them on campus in many ways, the answer is, in my mind, pretty simple. It's part of the educational process. It's part of what we do for, for all students at the university in developing and encouraging and enriching an environment in which all students have that chance to learn about those kinds of things. So it's bigger than any one student going one direction or the other. It's, it's a whole idea of the, the whole campus becomes international not just because we have a few international students or we have a few students going overseas, but those opportunities for interaction and learning occur whenever possible. Oh, that's so. such an important concept you bring up. Yeah. The fact that we might have heard different stereotypes or we have different perceptions about people coming from different countries. And so often you meet the individuals and you find out, hey, they're, they're just really <laughs> like me. They're just like me. They have a different language. They have a different culture, but they're humans. They're humans like me and their humanity comes through. That's right. Exactly. And, you know, and more than that, too, you find out that 
boy, the food they cooked is pretty good. <laughs> you know, you find other things that they, you know, that you wouldn't think about, but things that become an impromptu learning experience. When you go through the food line in the cafeteria and you find that this, this student next to you is from another part of the world and they eat all different kinds of stuff, you know, and you think, well, then you start talking, you find out, well, why? You know, what is it? You know, what is it about this? And you, you begin to learn. So it's, it's a whole environment. It's not just one instance, one way or the other. And we also worked very hard to get faculty involved in some of that as well. And so the community program used to involve a number of faculty. We used to have the International Week would involve international shows and demonstrations and all kinds of and Like the international fair we had was wonderful. We had students would bring artifacts from their home country and put them on display. They even sell some of them. And the potluck lunches were wonderful. Did you find that the international students liked to get together to compare their experiences, the ones coming from different countries? Somewhat. Sort of a natural development was an international student club mm-hmm. or you know, like, for example, we had a lot of Nigerian students here when I came, and they formed Nigerian Students Association. That was great because they would come to us if they had a concern, and we would talk with them. We would be invited to their parties, but they would stay by themselves for that. But we would encourage them to, why not, at your next meeting, invite some other students, yes. both from Texas and from other countries, and get together. And that happened a little bit. We and For a while, we had an international student association. It worked for several years, but it wasn't a total success But because it was, things were so different and students were so busy. But it worked for a while, and it got more students together. It also brought in some faculty. Did your position cause you to travel very often? Quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the goals we had was in order to develop more opportunities for Texas students and uh, bring in other students from other countries, we worked together with other campuses around the state of Texas. At one point we had, uh, I think, we started off with about six schools working together on some programs. We ended up eventually with about 15 schools all working together on a number of different issues. And that worked a lot of really wonderful ways. Uh, It was what we call the Texas International Education Consortium. And that was uh, to help each school develop by getting ideas from other schools. And we even developed a study abroad consortium for a while. With I think we had six schools in that consortium. And we would share programs. If we had a program in business and somebody from the University of Texas at Arlington wanted to go on our program, we said, fine, you register for the course here. We'll make sure the, trans- the credit transfers back to Arlington. And they agreed back and forth. What it did is provided, in many cases, it provided enough students to make a go of a program. So by combining the resources of a number of schools, it worked fine. That also helped us involve more faculty. Uh, matter of fact, the, that the Texas Consortium at one point developed a program in Malaysia to provide the first two years of a, a Texas college experience in Malaysia. Wow. So we had faculty from UNT, from Texas Tech, from UT uh, Austin, UT Arlington, uh, Texas A&M, and several other schools go to Malaysia and teach U.S. courses in Malaysia. Oh, that's great experience for faculty. Oh, so faculty, it was a wonderful program. Of course, you asked about travel. I had to go to Malaysia about four times to work on that program because at that time I was the chair of that organization. But we had a really good experience for faculty. 
one of the things that sticks in my mind is a, a history professor from UNT who taught American history in Malaysia to Malaysian students. After two years of teaching American history in Malaysia, he came back here and he told me on the, when he got back, he said, you know, I will never teach American history the same way again. Really? And that to me is, is exactly why we were doing this. Yeah. You know, to add a new perspective, not only to students going in either direction, but to faculty as well. And we had a number of faculty uh, do that with, after the Malaysian experience. And of course, we taught English in a number of places, too. We had a group of English teachers from our intensive English program teach in Turkey and in Japan. And I think uh, UNT still has teachers in the intensive English program going to Japan. So some of these things have continued. And I'm very proud of the fact that some of those things we started 25 years ago or 30 years ago are still continuing today. They worked. Hopefully, that's that's why they're still working. So, But it's... It, it was always a lot of interesting times for me. I did have an opportunity to travel to lots of different places. And um, one of the things that was also important, study abroad, I mentioned so far, we're talking about faculty-led programs overseas. But there's a, another way of looking at study abroad, and that is a true exchange, where a student would go not just for six weeks in the summer or one semester with a faculty member, but would actually exchange with a student from another university overseas. That involved a fair amount of travel and working with international professional organizations to help develop contacts overseas that would provide a true exchange. We would sign exchange agreements, say, with the University of Glasgow in Scotland, and we would send a student there, and they would send a student here for a year. I want to go. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a really incredible thing. That is probably the most valuable kind of study abroad. Now, that's not to decry a six-week experience or a five-week experience in Switzerland for a student who's never been out of Texas, much less out of the U.S. There's all different varieties of these experiences, and any one experience can be a, a life changer for any student. And we've seen it happen time and time again of students who get that experience, and then they incorporate that into their, their life experience and their degree program, and they end up figuring, well, when I go to work as to make a living, why don't I look for some place that provides international experience? Or if I do, if I get into a company and they do international business, I'm prepared to work with that. So it, it helps a lot. You know. I would imagine it would just make a younger person much more open, or an older person, much more open to new and different. Because if you've had that experience, you realize, oh, this is so enriching, so rewarding. It's not as scary as you might think That's if right. you don't take the chance to do those kinds of things. Is the structure of higher education in the United States and in different countries, is it similar enough that there are not many difficulties for people going from one country to another, or do they encounter some difficulties with that? Well, it depends. The biggest difficulty, of course, is language. Uh, most U.S. students are rather, rather don't learn very many languages. I mean, we're just the way it is, you know, and uh, many do. But one of the reasons for an exchange program is to develop your skills. And language is one of the skills that's very important. Uh, we couldn't send a student on exchange to Germany unless they could handle some German, although most Germans speak a lot of English. 
we had to make sure that there was, there was a good match there. So many of our exchange programs, we had probably four or five exchange programs that worked in the United Kingdom, in Ireland, in Australia, because the languages are not that different. They're similar. <laughs> and, but um, if you send a student to, to Germany or to France, you, you better have some skills in the language. Now, a lot of students who were studying language here were naturals for that kind of thing. And that worked frequently pretty well. And I can imagine it must have enhanced their language abilities. Oh, incredibly so. Tenfold, hundredfold, whatever. Exactly. The whole idea was to make it possible for them to get that experience in as many ways as possible. And And to bring faculty along, too. Because when the student comes back from a study abroad experience, their interactions with faculty are enhanced and maybe a little different. And faculty who understand that, I think, can do real well with that student. Uh, the student can do real well with that faculty member. The whole goal was to make, you know, answer that one question about my comment about make it more important, develop this whole environment in which all of these interactions can enrich the whole experience for everybody involved. Of course, there is always a few failures along the way, but um, generally speaking, it worked pretty well. That's life, so, right? Yeah, that's right, exactly, exactly. So faculty really did some incredibly wonderful things with it, with this. We had one faculty member who took a group of students to Ghana studying the music and music as a healing phenomenon. Fascinating experience in, in anthropology. Wow. And I'm sure Steve doesn't mind if I mentioned it, but uh, <laughs> we had a student over there who got very sick, had a breakdown. And we were able, because of the insurance that we required, the student was able to come back. But not just that, but a doctor from Ghana escorted the student all the way back to to Denton. And then, because of the connection, that doctor was introduced to the hospital in Denton, spent six weeks studying the system here before he went home and had his own study abroad experience. That's great. So it works in many different ways, but the connections are wonderful. Now, I don't... It's not true that all the connections were because of my office or anything like that. A lot of faculty had some really wonderful connections. And whenever possible, those are the guys we tried to capitalize on for bringing their experience into the environment, which helps students and other faculty. And we had a lot of fun in the process. I so. bet. <laughs> you mentioned music. Of yeah. course, UNT is well known for their excellent music program. Yeah. You traveled to Thailand with oh, the one o'clock jazz band. That's right. That was an f- incredible experience. Yeah. And that was um, a group of us escorted, let's say, the one o'clock lab band to, yes. to Thailand. Now, that was supported by our alumni in Thailand. There is a, a, an alumni association active in Thailand. It just so happened that one of those members was an extraordinarily wealthy man uh, who also was the first man the first donation to UNT of a million dollars. Wow. His name is Charn Uswachuki, an incredible man who developed uh, some very successful businesses in technology in Thailand, uh, made the first large contribution of a million dollars to the University of North Texas. Well, he and a number of other people, including a man who was one of the members of the, the National Bank in, in Thailand, a number of other people in music and a few other areas supported that trip. And the entire one o'clock lab band, several faculty from the College of Music, several administrators all went to Thailand and presented the King of Thailand 
with an honorary degree in jazz studies, <laughs> honorary PhD in jazz studies. That was an incredible experience. To see our, our band giving a concert to the King of Thailand and then having the King of Thailand, after the concert, move his chair into the band and his servants brought out his own coronet and his own instruments and he played with the band for the next two hours. They jammed. And that lasted until about two o'clock in the morning. It was what the most incredible sight. experience. Oh my goodness! That's yeah. That's that's a, a time of a lifetime, uh, right? It was just amazing, you know. And having shook the hands of the King of Thailand, it's the, the time I've the only time I've ever been that close to any royalty anywhere in the world. So. And I'm sure he enjoyed the time. I'm sure it's memorable. It's memorable oh, for him as well. I'm sure he did. I'm yeah. sure he did. Yeah. We were all sorry to see when he passed away a few years ago, but. Uh, he also, as a composer, he composed oh. jazz pieces, and part of the band's concert, of course, was some of the King's own music. So it, it was what a, an incredible time! It was a really wonderful thing, and the the alumni there just treated us absolutely wonderfully. They they gave us tours of the city, tours, you know, all kinds of things, and dinners and everything. It was, they did unbelievable, wonderful things for us. So that's incredible. Well. I also have to thank you very much for all you've done for Ollie. I know you were you and your wife volunteered for many, many years and were even honored by Ollie for having served for twelve years and you were president of the advisory council. What attracted you to Ollie? Tell me a little bit about your Ollie experience. Well, Ollie I think is, is this incredible, wonderful program and I just finished registering us for 30 classes for the fall. Great. <laughs> and it started back when I retired. Uh, now, I can't believe it, 17 years ago. A friend of mine, Jack Davis, who was then the dean of the uh, College of Art, said, why don't you come over and join the, the retiree group? At that time, it was called RIPS, R-I-P-S, which was not a play on rest in peace. <laughs> it, it meant retired instructors, personnel, and spouses. That was started in 1982 by then uh, Steve Miller, who was then the head of the HR department, with the idea that there should be some way for people who have retired from the university to stay connected. RIPS existed, and I joined at the suggestion of my friend Jack, joined the advisory group, the the committee. uh, And two years later, I was elected to chair of that committee. And that a little later, (laughs) that program was supported at the time by um, the advancement office and the president's office. We had didn't have a great budget or anything, we, but we had enough to have meetings and have a few events through the year. It was great fun because we met a lot of retirees and had a lot of experiences with them. One of the things I'm proud about there is that my own interest was to keep in touch with the whole university, not just my former colleagues or the people. You know, in my job, I had, I had one of the best jobs in the university, which may be disputed by others, but <laughs> my job required that I got to know people from almost every department on campus. I frequently traveled across campus with visitors, taking visitors around, meeting everybody from the president down to the deans to faculty members of, the, of interest. And as a result, I got to know people in, in almost every department. Most importantly, I got to know all of the secretaries or administrative assistants of all the deans, so they know what's going on. That's important. That's right. What happened then is 
my colleague uh, and myself, who was the vice chair of the committee, we decided that it would really be kind of neat if we could visit some departments again, you know, because I used to visit them all the time. And I was always wondering, what's happening in departments? So we came up with the idea of having the academic update, which is still an activity of UNTRA. It was about that same time that we changed the name from RIPS to UNTRA. Which, which stands for? UNT Retiree Association, as opposed to the re- Retired Instructors, Personnel, and Spouses. It's a much better name. It ties the name to the university. And I think that was a, a move in the right direction. At that time, some of the, the funding from the advancement office was, was taken away. President still provided some funding. And the lifelong learning program at the university uh, was getting underway. It was called the Emeritus College. The Emeritus College, the lifelong learning program, was asked to help with the UNTRA program. And now UNTRA is actually in this uh, organization. So at that time, I, I went over to meet Jordan, who's well-known to everybody in Ollie. <laughs> and, um, and he and I worked out a way that UNTRA's membership could become part of the database kept by their office. So we suddenly had a new database with all of our members' information. And from that point on, it, registered, it, it went on to where we are today, where, where we have a, a website and everything else. I was then asked to serve on the, the board of the Emeritus College. Jim Miller, who was the originator of the Emeritus College, had passed away, and Ken Dixon took over the deanship of that. After a year or so, Ken had to resign from that position, and I was appointed dean of the Emeritus College. Oh. And working with Jordan to have our, all of that stuff working together on that sort of thing, we started working very closely with the Emeritus College and, and UNTRA, as, uh, on both boards. That was when Emeritus College began to look at Ali, at the Osher Foundation for funding to become an Osher and Ali program. So I got to work with that. We got to develop some of the materials and things that were used to, to become an Ali program. That was an important step for us. Thanks. It's a very for important your participation step. Participation in that. Oh, it's made it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Well, then when Ali was established, the Emeritus College was, I guess, eliminated, not, or not eliminated. Or absorbed, uh, perhaps. Absorbed, <laughs> absorbed, that's a better word, thank you. Uh, was absorbed, and at that point, I became the chair of the advisory council for the uh, for Ali. And I had been chair of, uh, you know, dean of the program before, and so I slid into the new position. And after about a uh, little over 10 years of doing that, I thought, you know, uh, maybe it's time for some younger people to be involved. <laughs> so, so I moved on. My wife is also still a volunteer. Uh, still work on that. We still volunteer with Ali, which is an incredible program. So that's kind of a quick history of my involvement. Well, thank you. Thank you. You came along at a very, very important time. I've been looking back on my career. I, I still think I had one of the best jobs on campus. It sounds uh, like it. I did have opportunities to do some teaching while I was here. You know, I taught in um, statistics and math and and when the, when the provost decided that the international office needed to be involved, I was hired by two vice presidents in academic affairs and student affairs. Eventually, it moved mostly into academic affairs. So since the academic affairs were paying for my salary, I had to do some teaching because they were using resources. That, so I did some teaching. It was wonderful to be back in the classroom. I hadn't taught since I had been a, teaching, a graduate teaching assistant at St. Louis University. So but that was great fun. But all of that added up to, to a career that I think w- was incredible fun, incredibly enriching, 
uh, gave me a lot of really fun things to think back about, you know, as I, as I get pretty old. Well, no. <laughs> well, I thank you very much. You just made some tremendous contributions to the university and to us here at Ali and also in Antra, and I just appreciate that very much. Thank you. And well, thank thanks for talking to us today. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, talking with Dr. Tom Hemmicke. Thanks for listening. The Ali at UNT podcast is recorded and edited by Susan Supak and produced by me, Jordan Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous interviews and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. To receive email notifications about each new episode, join our email list at olli.unt.edu slash podcast.